This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zero. Atlanta, Denver, Houston, Los Angeles, New York City, San Francisco, Seattle. This May, the Zero Roadshow is coming to a city near you. As an accountant, when you join Zero, you'll not only have access to essential practice management tools, but you'll be joining a collaborative community of accountants and bookkeepers. At the Zero Roadshow, you'll meet this community, learn how your practice can benefit from the full power of the Zero platform, and even earn CPE credit. To register for free to the Zero Roadshow USA 2019 event nearest you, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.com slash Zero Roadshow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.com forward slash X-E-R-O. R-O-A-D-S-H-O-W. If you can't make any of the live roadshow events, be sure to sign up for one of the free online roadshow events in June. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, did you do anything fun this week? It was an exhausting week. I was in Boston on Monday, came back on Tuesday, and I went to San Francisco on Wednesday, and we had our first user gathering as a company at Flowcast. Uh, on Thursday, down by Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. Oh, that's exciting. Like, first user gathering ever. First one ever. We had 90 of our dedicated customers in a room at the San Francisco Brewing Company for the day. And we we did CPE on the product. We did some thought leadership style talks uh, that we invited some of our customers and uh, a guest speaker in. We had the former CFO of Yelp give a talk and... Yeah, that was really cool. Cool. I did an escape room last night for the first time ever. That's did you escape? Exciting. We did escape. We did escape. We had about four and a half minutes left. So that was oh, exciting. Good. It was like, uh, they had to solve like a murder or something like that. But uh, it got me thinking like, you could build an escape room like on accounting principles, right? <laughs> That'd be a good way to teach CPE. Right? Like you have to like get something to reconcile. And if it doesn't balance and it doesn't come out to zero, you got to figure yeah. out and you can use clues and you have to like, it's, it's genius. We should build a escape room just for accountant themed. I like that. If any, if any escape rooms want to lease that idea from us, it's available. <laughs> well, we'll we'll have to create some content. Maybe a cloud accounting escape room, right? You have to. This would be like the Zapier challenge. You have to successfully integrate two applications or something before you can move on. Yeah, and, and there's all these problems that could occur, right? Like, yeah. Um, I think it's, it's, there's something here. We'll just have to design it and, and it could be virtual, right? People could play it online, like, you know, some downtime for people in the office. So we'll, well, when we have time, we'll build that and uh, get that uh, distributed to everybody. Well, so David, there's a lot of news and uh, I'm so glad that you have been paying attention because I've been traveling all week. I've been very busy. So I've been kind of doing my best to stay on top of what's going on, but you have a ton of stuff to talk about this week. So I'm just going to let you take it away and and hopefully I can I can offer some commentary. Yeah, so we have some reviews so we can knock oh, these yeah, out. We gotta, quickly. I always I almost forgot the reviews. Let's the see reviews. the reviews. So yeah. um so follow up from last week's review. So do you remember last week we got a review um from somebody in the uh, United Kingdom and he yes. gave us four yes. stars? Well, he went back and he edited our re- his review and he changed it to five stars and well, he said so kind. So and, and so he added, it says, edit, change to five stars and join the podcast more and more. So whatever we said last week was a huge improvement. That's we, we increased, what's that, uh, 20%. That's there amazing in one week. So that was, a, that, that was an update. And we thank you very much for going back and editing your review. Um, we did have a review come through on Twitter. I'll read that one quickly here. Uh, this is from Don Cooley. Since I refuse to install iTunes, let me give my five-star review here to the Cloud Accounting Pod. 
What has my life become that I actually look forward to new accounting podcasts? Oh, well, great job, David Leary, Blake Oliver. Best source of news in, in the industry. So Thanks so thank much, you. Don. Uh, here's another one. This is a great podcast for general and cloud accounting news. Five stars. Dang it. I'm very Apple averse, but this podcast is so good. I dug up my old Apple login info so I could leave David and Blake a review. I look forward to this podcast every week and enjoy hearing their insights into the current accounting stories of the day. If you're in the accounting profession, then you'll get a lot out of this podcast, even if you're not, quote, in the cloud. And I don't have a name for that, unfortunately. That's a good one. Um, Thank you, though. I'm going to skip to this one. Uh, Easiest way to keep up with the industry, five stars. I'm horrible at staying on top of industry news or any news for that matter, but I love listening to the podcast, so this helps. Blake and Oliver are funny, so that helps even more. (laughs) Keep up the great work. So that was from Spotter86 on uh, iTunes. All right. Thanks, Spotter. So Uh, whoever Blake and Oliver are, great podcast. (laughs) Here's another one. Great podcast. Where should I start? Great, engaging, and informative podcast. The two hosts have great chemistry. This podcast is filling a void left by other accounting publications covering stories not covered anywhere else. Further, the podcast notes are great. Very well written and meticulously detailed. Keep up the good work. Jacob Oberlander, CPA. Oberlander & Co. Thanks, Jacob. Really appreciate it. Uh, and, And I... Yes, the notes are great. People should subscribe to those if you don't already. Uh, Blake puts a lot of work in the show notes and then even now puts in chapters. So if your podcast player supports chapters, the show notes and the chapters are all lined yep. inside the podcast player, which is really cool. So let's jump into the news. Kind of a small one, but it could be very earth shattering for all of us. So Elon Musk, right? So that's the Tesla guy. Mm-hmm. And he likes to do these projects. He's got electric cars. He's building rockets. Well, I fear that he might be coming to our industry next. I don't know if you saw this, but Elon Musk sent out a memo to his employees because they're really trying to cut cut expenses and control costs at Tesla. At at Tesla, okay. At Tesla. That he is personally going to review all expenses, all travel expenses, any dollar that goes out of the bank account at Tesla, Elon is going to personally review. Wow. And so my my thought on this is he's going to experience such pain from doing this that the accounting industry <laughs> is going to be his next project. That's just my prediction. Hmm. Maybe he has never reviewed an expense report before because it's kind of a lot of going to be a lot of work uh, given how many employees they've got at Tesla. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I am worried that he will get frustrated and then figure out how to automate us out of business. Who knows? Yeah, because because I mean his cars are going to self drive in three years. Mm-hmm. So, so well, he we'll, does work between eighty and ninety hours a week. So you know he's he's got he's got some time. I wonder how how long it would take him to review every single expense report. I, I would love to if he if he starts live tweeting about this. I might have to follow him on Twitter just to see. Like he's like, I cannot believe this is another coffee at an airport somebody bought. Like control these costs. Well, crazy. Uh, so Elon Musk is going to go insane reviewing everybody's expense reports. Meanwhile, what's been going on? There's there's some major stories that we've been covering that we got to follow up on, right? So what do you want to hit first? Should we talk about uh, there's FreeFile, there's Walters Kluwer, there's QuickBooks Live? Let's do the Walters Kluwer and the CCH because I think that's small and there's not okay. a lot to discuss. It's more just an update, right? Yeah. So the, uh, the IRS issued a statement and instructions. So the IRS on May 14th said they've been working closely with CCH to ease the impact on taxpayers. 
Mm -hmm. uh, due to the recent software outage. And they give uh, instructions and you have to go, it'll be in the show notes, but depending on how you're filing, there's different instructions you have to do. But essentially they're telling you to actually type in the text, late filed return due to CCH software outage, Mm -hmm. which I'm kind of surprised that they're giving you, like, that sounds like somebody would try that, you know, like, hey, I'm going to write this on my, my return and see if it slides by the IRS. But for the IRS to be telling you to specifically write those words on your forms and your e-filing is uh, a whole new world for me. I wouldn't have imagined they would have done that. Well, yeah. So thankfully, Walters Kluwer has enough uh, uh, pull with the IRS to to get this extension. But it's not that long. It's only an extra, what, seven days, something like that. Yeah, here it is. Impacted filers now have until May 22nd, a seven-day extension to file. So as long as the filing is done on or before the extension date, it will not be considered late by the IRS. Got it. So So seven days in. Seven days? Perfect. So, and then that's about all I had on that, just a small update on that. We still don't know the extent of the malware attack, right? As far as I know, there hasn't been a statement from CCH on whether or not personal information was stolen, you know, how this happened in the first place what was the what was the means of attack all that like still nothing yeah the the communication has not uh been very well yeah uh at all the opposite of that though is quickbooks live has updates and yes and I, I must admit like intuit's releasing a great blog post now and giving updates on quickbooks live it's arguably making our, our jobbers easier right you're not having to piece together a facebook post here with a rumor or a screenshot from over here like the notes are just all written there and it's very clear and maybe cch should take a note from intuit on what they're doing with quickbooks live because they have a great blog post that's just like calling out all the details and the upcoming timelines for quickbooks live and the big news is that they're hiring what 40 more employees for quickbooks live yeah, so they're hiring more employees and they've actually put out like what the requirements are. Um, so you have to uh, minimum one year's experience working with QuickBooks Online and you're either a CPA or certified public bookkeeper or certified professional are, bookkeeper. Professional, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, actually, is that? I say public though. That might be a typo on Intuit's part. Yeah, interesting. So, so you have to be either a CPA, a CPB, have three plus years of recent experience or received a four-year business degree in accounting or finance. So it feels like that's pretty broad at this point. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, well, it, it, especially the three plus years of recent experience, because you could have been doing it for three years and have no idea what you're doing still, right? That, you know, it's not you did it three that's years not, ago. Yeah. You, you, I did bookkeeping, you know, 25 years ago and now you're jumping in. Yeah. So yeah. recent, recent, uh, great. So, so they're definitely, they're finalizing those qualifications still, but they are, you know, really starting to build this into a real release and a real product and a really uh, business model. And are these uh, employees, these new, these, so there's 10 right now in Boise, Idaho, running QuickBooks Live full-time, full-time employees. Are these 40 new ones also going to be working there or are they working from home? Because I understand the program, ultimately, it's not going to be everybody in the office, right? So it looks like um, there's, there's, it's going to increase from the 10 in Boise to 50, and then it says these 40 new hires will be remote staff. Some of them are tax experts who previously were part of the TurboTax Live team. So they're utilizing some of the existing resources that they used with TurboTax Live mm-hmm. um, to, to reuse that staff. The, I don't see a note, though, about because I think here it is. Uh, Rich the, Priest said they were going to do um, some payroll employees in Reno as well. But I don't see any note about that in this post. It says here at the end of the section about the new employees that the 40 new hires will be remote staff. So there's going to be 10 in Boise, 40 new ones who are working remotely. So that's a pretty fast growth rate. 
And it looks like they're still on track to launch the program in what is it? Very beginning of June. I think end of May is when they're going yeah, to start so advertising it. May twenty right? eighth. May twenty eighth. They're launching. Yeah. So they're going much bigger, and it's going to be for four hundred dollars a month. Um, but they're going to still limit, you know, who can see this and who can purchase it through that test. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on June third, they're going to launch a much bigger test on QuickBooks.com. And so it looks like the way it's going to work is that they're going to be advertising on QuickBooks for both new customers of QuickBooks as they sign up and existing customers. And as soon as they hit a certain number, which they haven't said what that is, but they'll hit a certain number of new customers, the program will revert to the test where they'll just collect contact information. You won't actually be able to purchase it. And I wonder what that number, I mean, what do you imagine that number is? Because if, if there, if you have now total 50 people doing QuickBooks live, like what's, what do you think that realistic number is? Because it's not like a full bookkeeping service. So I mean, what's the ratio do you think? I don't know. Okay. So if I had to just guess at $400 a month, maybe a bookkeeper could handle 30, 30 clients, probably more. It, again, it depends on the actual scope of services, which we don't really know what that is. We've seen what's been advertised, but I don't even think Intuit knows exactly what the scope is going to be. Uh, at the, well, they, I guess they must if they're launching the program, but it's not really clear. So it depends, right? If it's just helping people on demand, then you know, theoretically you could have hundreds of clients per bookkeeper because it's just a matter of making sure there's enough time in their data to help people. But if it's stuff like reconciling the bank accounts when they're not online and producing reports and corresponding via email with them. I mean, that's a whole different beast, right? So, and that, that's, it's interesting about this. Like how much of it's going to be where you just pop it on video, ask a couple of questions, get to get a little bit of assistance and how much of this is going to be, it's kind of like a bookkeeping service. Yeah. But and that'll determine those ratios. Yeah. My, my just guess based on my own experience running an online bookkeeping company, kind of doing similar stuff is they could probably have at least a thousand customers with, I mean, well, actually it's 50 employees, right? So maybe somewhere between a thousand and 2000 customers. That's my guess. So still, still small in the big scheme of things, but Hey, they could ramp up pretty quickly. I could see in a year, I could see into it having, you know, 10,000 customers on this program. And what, so 10,000 times 400 is a lot of cash, right? Yeah. It's a pretty big, pretty big business already there. And part of this post actually is encouraging people that are reading it to go get your recertification for QBO because the date of July 31st is fast approaching. And it has all the links to Account University, yeah. ProAdvisor Trading Tab, um, virtual conferences, and then the in-person uh, trainings that you can do. So they are uh, they're really encouraging people to hey, make sure your certs are up to date because you're right. I, I really suspect this is going to explode. And when it does, Intuit's going to want to onboard lots of ProAdvisors to this as fast as possible. And the last thing they want to do is have a hurdle of like, oh gosh, all these other ProAdvisors let their, their certification expire or this happened or this happened. So I can see why they're pushing people now. So when that demand has to be met, people's certifications are ready. Yeah. And if, if you are part of this program or you have applied or you have information, like the one thing that I really want to know is how much are these pro advisors getting paid that are part of QuickBooks Live? I'm very curious to know what that is. So let me, let me know. All right. So moving on uh, to more follow-up. So we just talked about QuickBooks Live. I mean, there's more uh, follow-up for Intuit in the Free File Alliance. Yes. Do you have some news on that? More, more Free File. So ProPublica got a hold 
of an internal video from Intuit CEO Sasan Gadarzi to it looks like the entire company talking about the whole free file thing, all the, the all the coverage. David, I take it you have watched this video. What's the news here? Hey, I think the news is in itself this this video being made and this video being released. Turned to ProPublica, this is an 11-minute video sent to Intuit employees. It got leaked. Part of me wonders, like, was this made specifically? I mean, I, all right, I'll rewind for a second, right? At this point in the game for Intuit, and the uh, if people are, ProPublica is reporting on people's meeting notes from a decade ago of somebody making a joke about Free File Alliance, if you made a video like this and sent it to your employees, aren't you under the expectation that it's probably going to get leaked to ProPublica at this point? Right. Yeah. So part of me wonders, like, I mean, part of me wonders, was this made on purpose because knowing it was going to get leaked? So that way Intuit's kind of controlling their own message at this point. But then why not just make a video for the public? Right. Why make an internal video? That that's confusing because I think I saw a comment about this that um, about the video. The Intuit spokesman, uh, it says, an Intuit spokesman said the video is part of our commitment to an ongoing dialogue with our 9,000 employees and reflects our culture of transparency. We stand behind the video as a clear description of, of our actions as being both appropriate and consistent with our values. So it's funny that the Intuit spokesperson here on this that's quoted didn't say like, oh, this shouldn't have been leaked. It shouldn't have been this. It shouldn't have been this. It's just like, okay, it's out there. And mm. this is what it is. So I, I said that was you're right. Like, it's weird. Like, no, I almost feel like knowing this was going to get re- leaked, probably. Mm. Why make an internal just to make a make a public video to all into a customers or something? Well, um, let, let's actually talk about what's in the video. What's, what's in the video? Because that's the yes, that's, that, really that, that's that's the questionable part of maybe possibly. Yes. So this is this is interesting to me. Um, we, we only have they didn't release the ProPublica didn't release the whole video. Oh, they did release the whole video, but they also have clips in this article on their site. And they start out with a quote from Sasan uh, about the context uh, in which these accusations are being made. And he he mentions a, quote, single, single publication, publication that has written 22 stories challenging our company over the last five years. Each of these articles have been written and published in the context of a specific wider political agenda. That agenda is to create a centralized government system of pre-filled tax tax returns, unquote. So he's basically saying there that ProPublica, I mean, we assume he's talking about ProPublica, hasn't it? He could be talking about us. He could be talking (laughs) about us, ProPublica. How how egotistical of ProPublica thinking it's about them? Well, you know, let's let's give it to them. Let's just assume that, uh, yeah, uh, that Intuit CEO is not uh, listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. But but I think it's interesting. He starts out by attacking ProPublica as being a political organization. Look, I'm not that familiar with ProPublica. You know, I don't have, don't read everything they do, but they do say they are not for profit and they do investigative journalism to hold the politicians uh, and government and, and big companies accountable. But I don't I don't think they have an agenda to create a centralized government system of prefilled tax returns. That just doesn't sound very fair to me. Well, I mean, and that could be some of the you know, the play that's coming down from Intuit management possibly. Cause if you go back last week, the was last week, the phone call with the tech support with the TurboTax support person. Yeah. Was that two um, weeks ago? I don't, I don't remember. I don't, did we, we didn't talk about that. Did we, or maybe we did. I can't, I can't even remember at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's the, the ProPublica had an inter, they, they called in or somebody called in to get a refund. It, it was a, the, a grad student. Uh, who who like made, you know, I don't know, $18,000 or something. So he's under that $36,000 threshold. 
uh, called into TurboTax customer support and recorded the call and was trying to get a re- refund. And the the call it doesn't it doesn't go very well uh, or doesn't look very good for Intuit because the customer service rep basically repeats a bunch of false information about the free file program and and denies this guy a, a refund. So, yeah. but but one of the themes that was in it, it was this really there was a bashing of ProPublica. I, I kind of I don't remember the exact terms, but the, the support rep yeah. made a comment about how ProPublica was either coming after Intuit or is fake or or it was in, it had inaccurate information. So so this could be coming down from the top. Yeah, that there's this theme of hey, ProPublica is out to get into it. They're bad news, or whatever, whatever, whatever the story is. But it does feel like that's a theme. And you're right; that's a good observation that he opened the video with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So they're basically, yeah, they're calling it fake news, right? <laughs> or they're calling it political agenda or something like that, which fits in with the broader theme of this uh, video and, and the argument that Sasan Gadarzi makes, which is essentially he says that he denies that Intuit was in any way trying to hide the TurboTax free file product, which is called Freedom Edition, from the public. Let's see if I can find it here. He's, here's the Here's the quote about why Intuit was hiding the free file product from Google and other search engines. He says, quote, we implemented a multifaceted marketing campaign for the product we offer through the IRS free file program. One important portion of the campaign was search. And that included spending money on paid search and syndicating large amounts of content we created like product differences, eligibility, requirements, and FAQs. We did this so that the right content would be more easily found by eligible consumers. And that approach worked, with our IRS educational content showing up at the top of the search results. To avoid confusion between the IRS free file program and our own free product, we also decided to have the landing page for the IRS, the IRS product we offer, offer not, not rank, rank in the search results. So like, I don't, I don't, it just doesn't make sense to me. If their goal was to make it easier for people to get to the right program, then why not have that rank in search results? The argument is that like, it still doesn't even make sense to me. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the whole video, again, it, it, it's, with quote, I mean the, the the headline really has this quote right that says um, hiding the free TurboTax was in the best quote unquote best interest of taxpayers, and so it just doesn't come out well. It just doesn't. It doesn't. This this whole video, the story, it just continues not to come out well for Intuit. And and the funny thing is, like nobody's talking about, it, and Intuit talks about in the video that like they are the more than any other tax company combined. They've more people have done it, their taxes on free using TurboTax, right? Right. Than any of all the other ones combined. Right. Nobody's talking about that, obviously, because it's still in the grand scheme. Like we've seen the stats. I think we talked about that. It's like what three percent are only doing it of the eligible people. So yeah, but it just doesn't. It's it, like the whole thing's not. It's still not adding up, right? And then it, and the fact remains that something like a hundred million Americans qualified for the IRS free file program. But only 2.5% of those people actually took advantage of it. And ProPublica has screenshots of Google searches for the free file stuff through TurboTax. And when you tried, this was before, obviously, this all, news all broke. But if you searched on April 15th for TurboTax Freedom Free File, 
right? That's the freedom is the brand name for the free file product. The top link in the search results directs users away from the truly free product. The link provided by TurboTax, right? So they, and and it makes sense that a marketing team would do this if they are tasked with directing people into the non free file product, that's what they're going to do. And they did it very successfully. So I just don't buy it. And I don't think this is the right strategy. I think it, I think it would be much better for Intuit just to say, look, you know, we, we screwed up, we're sorry, and, and move on. But I don't know, maybe that's not possible. I mean, so, you know, in the ending quote, he talks about this, and I feel like it's one of those, like, I'm sorry that y- you did not understand. It's kind of how like Joe Biden was apologizing for, like, making people uncomfortable. I'm sorry you were uncomfortable for the extended hug I gave you, <laughs> right? Like, because he... Cause he he finishes it, right? Um, and I'll read uh, the quote. Our, Our choice, choice around, around search, search was intended to be the best interest of taxpayers so they were more fully informed about their options and could choose what they felt was best for them. But given the misinterpretation of our well-intended actions, we decided to remove the limitations we, we put, put in place. place. And that is, to me, that's, that's, what, that's what makes them seem guilty. It's, if, if what you were doing wasn't wrong then why change the code to unhide the page? Well, it's because you misinterpreted it, obviously. Well, if I misinterpreted it and you did the right thing, then don't don't change what you did, right? That's like basically... No, because no, yeah, now I've educated you how you were wrong. Right. Now I'm going to leave it. That, that makes sense. Like yes. if, they're, if they were really going to say, we didn't do anything wrong, then then don't change the page, right? Like if if you really aren't doing anything wrong, then why why would you have to change what you were doing? And so that's why this seems kind of you know, two-faced. The crazy thing is, is like Intuit could have made a good video and just released a, a real statement and a better video. Yeah. And so now this is out and it's kind of got spliced up and quoted and maybe the message wasn't delivered the right way. And so now Intuit's probably going to have to do another iteration of some release, mm-hmm. right? Like the story just keeps going. And, and I think if you contrast this, like I feel like that's what QuickBooks Live was for about eight weeks. It was just like this mess of stories coming out and rumors and this and this. And then now they communicate really clearly. Yeah. on the QuickBooks blog about QuickBooks Live. And I, it's, it's, I mean, they're obviously have a lot of uh, battles are fighting at the same time, but um, it's, it is what it is. Um, and even Accounting Today picked up on it a little bit. Accounting Today actually had a headline, which I was actually surprised in Accounting Today, um, but they have their, their quote unquote, their tech take and their, their headline in the article is Intuit grows more defensive. That's my feeling. That's, that's what I took out of this video. They're defending their actions, denying them to their own employees. And then obviously there's probably uh, – this is a battle into it has to fight on many fronts, right? There's a, the news and the PR mar- marketing piece of this, right? Mm-hmm. They're having to deal with obviously Capitol Hill, right? And Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are jumping on this, right? And now I think I saw there's a class action lawsuit from somebody. Yeah, well, um, so right? – So we just yeah, keep stacking up, right? So are you talking about the lawsuit from the city of Los Angeles or are you talking about a new I one? I think we talked about that last week, but there's a new one. Um, oh, yeah, you sent that is, to me. Uh, and I, and I think this is more a, really a class action suit. Right. To get refunds. Um, po- to get refunds. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and this could, that could be very expensive for Intuit because we're talking about a hundred million Americans that qualified for the program. We don't know how many used the wrong product, but I imagine it's quite a few. And those people were spending what, I mean, TurboTax ranges something like 60 bucks to 120 bucks per return, something like that. So that's uh, multiply that by millions and millions of taxpayers. That's a lot of money. So, yeah, I think the fed, uh, if you just do fed only, I think it's like, it's like 40 bucks. 
and then it's like 25 down on a state and that's yeah. where you, that's where you get your 60 to 70 but the, this has nothing to do with state finally it's just the uh the original so yeah it's gonna this story is not gonna go away everywhere there's gonna be some some new uh add-ons to it but it's uh it's it's a battle that's like on many different fronts and it's a it's a headache front yeah. to it right now and uh, hopefully we'll we'll get the you know clear communication about this and it won't be you know well i feel like we've beat this to a bloody pulp so what else do we got this week yes what else so uh there is er- it's start- we're starting to get an earning season mm-hmm. And so I think, and then two, it's earnings are next week, right? So we'll for sure we'll be covering those next week. And I imagine the numbers are going to be crazy, amazing. And, and the reason why is my gut instinct on that is you wouldn't be raising prices for QuickBooks as much as they're raising so if you didn't have, if you didn't have amazing numbers, yeah. right? So, so I imagine the numbers for QuickBooks are going to be amazing. Um, Sage had numbers come out. Sage actually uh, increased profit. Um, what was the note on the Sage thing? It was something like 18, did you say 18%? Oh, 16%. It's because they've been getting more of their customers, even though they might be on desktop software, they've been pushing more to subscription model mm-hmm. billing. And so- Subscription billing for the desktop software. Desktop software, so yeah. I feel like that's that's cheating. <laughs> no, you know, like it's not fair, right? You, you're getting the benefit of subscription billing and you're not actually innovating in your product the way you really ought to be doing. I, I think I'd be kind of pissed off if I were a desktop customer. And so we'll, we'll deep dive on the yeah. Sage earnings, I think, next week. Because I, I really think the bigger story is to look at Zero's earnings, Sage's earnings, and Intuit's earnings all kind of side by side. And that'll really give us a feel of like, where are we in this cloud accounting journey, yeah. right? How's it all stacking up? How's it all playing out? Well, um, one and thing so Sage one number that we can... Up discuss is rod drury's family they're now billionaires on paper right because zero yes I zero is that. profitable finally yeah zero hit a profit zero stock went is this up their first zero profit? i think number. i think it is right i think so or uh, positive cash flow yeah. yeah or we can look at the slides a little bit so so zero definitely released their numbers um i think the uh, story there is they are now at 1.8 um, I almost said billion geez that would have been wrong number uh, 1.8 million global subscribers wow so they've so they've increased another uh, four thirty two thousand in the last twelve months, and I thought the other part of that was interesting was that how that was in revenue. Well, and they only so had four years ago four hundred and seventy five thousand subscribers. So in the last year, they added almost as many subscribers as they had total four years ago. That just shows the incredible growth of of cloud accounting. And and I think in, yeah they've been growing what thirty five to forty five percent. Year over year, and I think QuickBooks Online has as well. Yeah, or it's, more, it's kind of amazing. Market. Yeah, and so that brought their U.S. subscribers, and we, we could talk more about this um, when you get the Intuit numbers next week. It brought their uh, so their Australia, New Zealand is at one point oh eight million subscribers. Mm-hmm. UK is four hundred sixty three thousand subscribers, which is doing very very well. Um, North America is, still has not broken two hundred thousand. It's one hundred ninety five thousand in North America, um, and then rest of the world is at eighty three thousand. Got it. So they continue to dominate Australia, obviously, and their numbers in UK are growing. Um, but it's interesting because I think the they released all these numbers, right? And then in the meantime, I think Sage had their summit this week, and somebody there, somebody at Sage on stage at Sage Summit said Sage is not going to push their customers to the cloud. And I just like for me, I, I see that, and I'm just shocked because I'm like that's not a good business decision if cloud software is growing at forty percent a year. Right. Yeah, it, well, maybe it's it's reactive, right? In that a lot of these 
Sage desktop customers are seeing what is happening with QuickBooks desktop and people feeling like they're getting forced into online. And so this is a way to appeal to those folks. But it's not, I don't think, a winning long-term business strategy. Yeah. And, 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 and I understand forced migration. Absolutely. You don't want to force migrate people. That's always the worst. It never works well, out. I think that's what she, um, that's what she was uh, criticizing or, or, or defending again, or, or just avoiding. You and, know, and very well, maybe on Twitter, like the whole context was left yeah. out. Right. And, and, but yeah, so forced migration, I totally agree with that. So it's bad for everybody yeah. involved, but to not push and prod your people along the way. Um, and this is why I want to, can't wait to see earnings next week because I know Zero had a very strong UK growth. I suspect Intuit, because they previously uh, Intuit had pretty strong UK growth. Like it'll be interesting because if you if Zero and QuickBooks Online are growing in the UK, they're getting those customers from somewhere, and they're not all new, which means they're probably taking customers away from somebody. Um, so we're, we're, next week's gonna be interesting. We'll compare all these numbers. Um, Sage also uh, announced the same day is that they have a new US president. No, um, Zero did. Tony Ward. Zero. What did I say? Sage. Sage. Oh, yeah. Scratch that. Rewind. Sorry about that. Yeah, so Zero uh, announced that Tony Ward is joining the Zero family as their new president of the Americas, taking the uh, occupying the spot that was held by Carrie Goman, who came from um, what's the bank she came from? You're the Zero guy. You should know this history. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) She she came from a bank. Can't remember what. I apologize. And uh, Carrie is now going to be taking the role of, what is it, chief platform officer? I think it was, yeah, so it was chief platform so that's, officer. That's really interesting. I want to learn more about what that is. Uh, do you know anything about Tony Ward? I, I think Matt Paff actually says it best in a tweet. Um, but I was looking at Tony Ward, and it looks like he's uh, Canadian, and he spent a lot of time, um, he was, his Microsoft background, et cetera, but he spent a lot, spent a lot of time in um, Australia and New Zealand. I think Matt Paff actually summarized it best in his tweet. Interesting move appointing another ex-Microsoft executive from the Antipodes as head of the U.S. Tough job given the number of presidents Zero has had, but resume doesn't speak to understanding the U.S. market nor how to compete with the giant, dot, dot, dot. And that's in reference to the hiring of Tony Ward. Yeah, and this this you know has been my problem with Zero as a partner, even as an ambassador, is that I feel like Zero is run from New Zealand. Uh, from Australia, from the Antipodes. What a wonderful word. And the U.S. market is so different. The executives there just don't understand the U.S. market and haven't. uh, That's why they haven't penetrated it, in my opinion. So hopefully uh, this is not going to be another situation like that uh, with Tony Ward. But, you know, hey, we don't know. We don't know him. And I actually really look forward to meeting him, hopefully in person at ZeroCon. Yeah, hopefully we'll uh, maybe with a little luck, we'll get him on the show. We'll, we'll, we'll get an yeah. in-person interview with a little bit of luck. I mean, obviously, he's going to be very busy uh, probably and very in demand of people trying to meet and talk to him. But yeah, we'll be there and we'll oh. try to get an interview while we're there. So I think that's it as far as the big player news. Sage released a, interest, a nice survey, their uh, Firm of Now survey. Uh, what's, what's new? What's new in the Firm of Now? Um, I don't think, I feel like the numbers are not exciting and what I mean, or, or disappointing. And what I mean by that is... Um, 90% of all the accountants in this survey believe that there's been this cultural shift in accountancy. Um, and it's changes. Cultural in how, shift. Yeah. Changes in how people are doing hiring practices, business services, just attitudes towards technology. Right. So everybody really believes there's a shift happening. But when it 
comes to the nitty gritty in the um, individual questions, right? So for example, the U.S. accountants, they still identify themselves as number crunchers. Hmm, really? And an overwhelming majority, 71% viewed themselves as number crunchers that only focus primarily on reporting as versus cons- consultative work, right? And so, and they said that the most common reason for remaining in that role of number crunching is there's internal resistance to change and the lack of tools and technologies to execute on such services. And this is, a, they, they uh, surveyed 3000 people. Yeah. And so that's a lot of people saying they don't, tools and technologies are not helping them get out of this number crunching role into more consultative mm-hmm. work. So 90% say there has been a cultural shift in accountancy, but only 29% see themselves as something other than number crunchers. Yeah, so there's a big gap there. Yeah, and things are changing. And then I think um, there's a lot of different stats that came out of it, and we'll have the, in the show notes. The other one that really struck me was the diversity. This survey is really uh, identifying that nobody's really addressing diversity in their practices. Only 30% of firms say they've actively, they're actively seeking to diversify their workforce. Only 20, 28% have a written policy on diversity and inclusion, and even fewer, 23%, have offered training or have altered any policies or procedures to promote diversity or inclusion. So the numbers are really, really low when it comes to diversity. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, and I thought um, that was a – so I said, like, this survey, it, it is, it's good numbers, and it's good data, and people should look at it, but it's kind of depressing numbers a little bit. <laughs> well – yeah, I, but I, I'm glad that this exists because I think those of us who have spent some time in big firms in particular, which tend to dominate accounting in this country, and I imagine that those firms are well represented in this survey, this isn't surprising to me. Here's another stat. I don't know if you mentioned this one. 62% of respondents agree that today's accounting training programs will not be enough to run a successful practice by 2030. That's, all, that's 62%, right? More than half say that we're not training accountants the way that we need to be doing it. So it's good news, though, for folks who are listening to the podcast, who are investing in their own education and training, because there's just a ton of opportunity because the rest of the workforce is not keeping up. Yeah, I mean, but you're, yeah, you're, you're yeah. only competing with the forward thinking 30% of the workforce. Yeah. I, and I always say, like, the reason that I enjoyed some success when I started my business is because everybody else was so terrible, not because I was so great necessarily, right? Like I was, <laughs> a, you know, it was my first business. I, I didn't know really what I, I'd been doing bookkeeping work. I was in school for accounting, going back to school to get my CPA. So it's not like I even had my credential yet. Just because I was trying something new and taking a different approach, my clients love that. And, uh, you know, we were able to grow very quickly, but like in a, I always say that in a properly functioning market with firms that are actually doing the right thing, like I shouldn't have been able to win business from them. So it just, just um, both a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah, I, I see your point because you're like, hey, I was playing the cello last week, but now I want to do your books, and you just yeah. got people's client. You, you got business. <laughs> how is that possible? Well, right. It's you know, so so you know how you like to point out those ads online on Facebook that say doesn't matter if you don't have any credential you too can run a successful accountancy practice you should did you take one of those courses or if not you should create a course actually yeah there's just so many traditional accounting firms that aren't innovating in any way i mean i was competing against firms where the way that they did their bookkeeping for their clients was the the clients had to print out their bank statements and then write down on the bank statement in pen or pencil 
what everything was for and then the facts that into the office where a bookkeeper would then code it into a desktop accounting system. Oh, so then when like you came in I, and you said like, hey, I'm going to put you on zero, you just blew their minds, these clients. Yeah, I'm like, like yeah. oh yeah. He said, well, how am I going to code the transactions? And I said, uh, or categorize them. And I said, oh, you're, you're not going to, I'm going to do it based on the bank statement description and a bunch of rules. And then I'm just going to send you the 10% that I don't know how to code. And you guys see, I could see his brain explode inside of the skull, right? Like he was so happy. Um, so yeah, it's not like it's that hard. So when these, to impress people. these people in the survey saying they don't have access to this technology, is it just because like the firms they work at aren't giving them access? I think so. I think that's probably part of it is that at a lot of firms, it's still top down. And so if you want to use something new, you got to go get IT, you got to get approval, you got to get budget. And it's not grassroots, right? Which is where the innovation happens. It's at the partner level. And, and those people are making lots of money. That's the problem is traditional accounting firms are still making lots of money. And I think the guys mostly guys running those firms are just riding out the their until retirement and that's why they don't care that it's they're not prepping people until 20 to prepare them for 2030 because they're, they're not going to be around yeah that yeah. makes sense uh what they don't i don't think what they don't realize is that they aren't going to have a buyout right like i mean if their firm doesn't continue to exist i don't know how their retirement plan works but maybe they're just not thinking that far ahead so we talked about Rod Drury, right now he's a billionaire yeah and so, but he might have some issues because you have an article about another billionaire, right? Uh, yeah. What, which, which one are you referring to? Warren Buffett, I the, think, right? Oh yeah. Warren Buffett. So we talked, maybe it was many months ago, I think. Maybe it was in January after Q4 earnings. Warren Buffett got a ton of press because he was complaining about an accounting rule change. And when Warren Buffett complains about accounting, everybody listens, right? So in the recent quarterly earnings for Berkshire Hathaway, net earnings came in at a whopping $21.7 billion. And that compares to a $1.1 billion loss a year ago. Like incredible change, right? And normally you would think, oh, Warren Buffett's going to be super happy. He actually said, no, this is, don't pay attention to that number. He actually told people to ignore that number because... During the, the period with the $21.7 billion uh, net earnings, that $15.1 billion of that was due to unrealized gain on its stock portfolio. And this new accounting rule that Buffett doesn't like is uh, that unrealized gains and losses uh, on, on, on these holdings, these stock holdings, have to be included in uh, net income. And he says that's terrible because I am I am holding these stocks long term. I don't think about this on a quarterly basis. And when you include the unrealized gains and losses, you're just distorting the true you know operating income of Berkshire Hathaway. And so every quarter now he's telling people, don't look at that number. Just look at our operating uh, revenue. So so he he has he has an audience and an eyeball. Right, like, yeah. like he he is very influential. Is this some? Is this a, a political game? Like, is he started to put his money where his mouth is? Like, are there certain people on both sides of the aisle that are like, like agree with him on these tax policies, and he's donating to their campaigns? Is, is it crossing to those lines yet? Or well, you know, accounting standards changes aren't supposed to be political, and that's why we have you know non political bodies like that, that create the rules. I, I just think that they screwed up in this case, right? Like the whole accounting rules are supposed to exist to provide meaningful information to investors. And when one of the world's greatest investors says that it's a bad rule, maybe we should listen. 
And, you know, I mean, look, I'm not an expert. I don't, I, I just know enough gap to pass a CPA exam because, you know, that's not my thing. I do tech. Uh, but there's something feels wrong to me about this, including unrealized gains and losses in net income. And I just think about it from the perspective of like owning a house, right? Which is something I'm relatively new to. If you look at like the, if you calculate your net well, your wealth and you look at the, your, your home on paper, right? Like when the housing market goes up or down, if you included that in your, you know, if, if you look at that on a quarterly basis, that could distort your view of your, your wealth. Right. But a house isn't something that you're going to like sell just when it goes up or down, like you're, you're holding onto it long-term. It's not a short-term investment. And, um, so it just doesn't, it's paper money, right? Until you actually sell your house, you're not, you're not, uh, I mean, hence the name unrealized gains, right? Yeah. Like, like this. So obviously when they've, created these standards and they created this concept of unrealized gains and named it that they're not realized. So like trying to slap taxes on it is, yeah, you're right. Like something's not reconciling in that decision. So anyway, you know, the bottom line is useless at this point. It just makes things more complicated for people. So if you, if you are listening and you know more about this than I do, uh, and you have a particular take on it, I would love to hear from you because uh, I just can't make any sense of it. Is there a good reason for this? Is Warren Buffett right? Is he wrong? Let me know. Got it. So I just have one more article that's mm -hmm. it this week. So I finally feel like I have validation of my niche soap, uh, soapbox I've been on. Right. And, you know, I've always been like going niche enables everything, right? Riches are in the niches. And you've um, been preaching this for a eight decade years, now, nine years. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. been a long time. And, and, and so I was very, very proud. So the journal of accountancy, uh, actually had a, and this is in the printed version, right? They actually had, um, a spread about, uh, developing your own specialized niche practice. Right. And it, the, the photo in the spread was Chris Farman, who is, uh, he, um, has a CPA firm out of Florida that only focuses on breweries. It's called Small Batch Standard. And I've had Chris as my poster child and like everyone in my slide decks. Like, so it just feels like great validation that like people are starting to realize like, oh yeah, like, like guys like Chris are crushing it. That's awesome. Right. Um, and I think like, and, and, and when I say like Richardson, the niche is like Chris is getting, he, you, you can't fill out his contact us form on his website if you don't put in your brewery name. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, so he gets 40. Now he's limited to just brewers filling that website out. He gets 40 inbound inquiries a month. He only takes one new client a month yep. because he, he's what he specialized in. He's um, they're not just doing the bookkeeping and the accounting for the brewery. They're helping the brewery like grow. Like he's an expert in everything there is to run a brewery. Um, and so it's just, it's, he's had a lot of success because of that. And this article actually covers um, four um, niches that are in there. Um, the, the other one that was in there is what is the name of their firm? They were, um, Gensky Mulder and company. Yes. That's, that's uh, dairy, dairy one, right? farm accounting. Yes. So, so they specialize in dairy farms. That's it. And they've grown, they have, um, 80 employees and 30 partners. That's fantastic. Like, like, like all of you have to, like, if you haven't done the niche thing, go read this article. Yep. It'll really encourage you to take those next steps because that's where there's so much upside. And, and it's probably a situation like yourself, right? Like you're saying like nobody was doing anything. So the competition was easy, right? right. If, if, if I'm a brewer and my accountant doesn't know anything about my brewery business, of course, Chris, somebody like Chris is going to come and steal their business. Or if I'm yep. a dairy cow far farmer and I'm sure if I go hire you, Blake, you probably don't know anything about dairy cows. I don't know. 
And of course, I'm going to pick an accountant that does. I couldn't agree more. Fantastic. So this is called Developing Your Own Specialized Niche Practice. It's in the Journal of Accountancy and the link is in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's dated May 1st, but I think the printed edition was May 1st and it took a little while for the the, the e-version to get out. Apparently they, they, they published first to their magazine possibly. Well, David, that's all I got this week. If people want to get in touch with you online, where should they go? Best way is probably Twitter. Um, I'm at David Leary. And I'm at Blake T. Oliver. We look forward to continuing the conversation on Twitter and on our Facebook page, Cloud Accounting Podcast. Just search for that in your Facebook search bar. And I'll see you next week, David. Yeah. And we have another Facebook Live bonus episode coming up. So definitely go to the Facebook page to uh, check that out on RSVP. All right. See you soon. All right. Later, Blake. Bye, everybody. Bye.